Good morning. So, we are continuing today our um, series on uh, fruitfulness on the front line, which will hopefully be familiar to you by now. Um, our topic today is being a mouthpiece for truth and justice, which, given where we are in the world and then some of the story we've just told, um, feels, it felt poignant anyway before that, <laughs> but it's really poignant. Um, truth and justice are big words, um, but they're not just big words, they're attributes of God's. Um, they're actually not things he brings or he does, but they are who he is. Um, and there's immense comfort in that. So I, what I hope is that this isn't a scary message, truth and justice, but it's a really affirming message. And I hope you'll see as we go through. So the passage that I was given to speak on today is 2 Samuel 12 verses 1 to 13. So I'm just going to read that to you. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and it drank from his cup and he cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah and had that not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the swords of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says because of what you have done. I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. So, <laughs> it's a really uncomfortable story to read. <laughs> um, the parts before and after, um, even more so. And when I first read it, I have to say, my thought was, what kind of inspirational talk on truth and justice can I possibly bring out of that? <clears throat> but we'll give it a go. Um, Daniel 2.22 says this, He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness though he is surrounded by light. And this story <laughs> and the subject of truth and justice are a story of hidden and of seen and of light and of dark. Or dark and light would even be better. So we have King David, the man after God's 
own heart, <laughs> which is a commendation. We know him for many of his rights choices. Um, we know of God's anointing on him. We know his heart of worship. And yet this part of David's story is really horrifying to read. Um, if you don't know the story, he's just sent his commanders off to war. He's in his palace. He takes a midday nap because he's at leisure. He wakes up and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And so he asks who she is. And the reply is, basically, she's someone's daughter. She's someone's wife. But he still chooses to have her brought to him. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. He thinks, oh dear, how can I cover it up? So he brings back her husband and tries to cover it up by getting them together. But he doesn't go. He gets him drunk to try and get them back together. The husband doesn't go. By which time David gets desperate to cover it up, has him sent back, put on the front line of the war, um, and he is killed by the sword of the Ammonites. And there's this little sentence. <laughs> at the end of that bit and the beginning of the passage we're looking at, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done, not surprisingly. So he sent Nathan. And that is probably the whole talk right there, but I'll try and expand it a little bit. Truth and justice, dark to light, making what has happened unseen and wrongly seen. And we see that David has got away with what he's done. Those around him, don't seem to have noticed or they've not challenged him. Why is that? You might ask. Was it because of David's power? Was it because they trusted him? Was it because they respected him? Probably all of those. But God had seen and God knew. And because God not only saw the truth, but God himself is truth, he also acted. When we consider what it means to be a mouthpiece for truth, and we'll come to the justice bit in a minute. There's two aspects of truth that we're bringing. So one is what really happened. What is the truth? Um, it's interesting, there's no single Hebrew word for truth, so it gets um, translated with a few different meanings. But the closest words actually we have in the English language for the meaning is not necessarily truth, but it's faithful or dependable. It's like integrity, it's reality, it's what really is. It's unchanging, it's foundational. Truth is always there, whether it's seen or not seen. What happened, happened, whether anybody knew about it or not. So there's this truth of reality, the truth that happens. But then there's God, who we are told is truth. Jesus said, I am truth. What does that mean? God is faithful and he's dependable. He is real. So God's response to what happens, whether it's known or not known, whether we see it or not, is that the fullness of God's character gets brought to bear on what's happened. All his judgment, all his justice, all his reckoning, all his righteousness, all his love for all of the people. <laughs> it's hard to get your head around when you think about it. That meant truth and, truth and dependableness for David. It meant truth for Nathan. It meant truth for Bathsheba. It meant truth for David's other wives. It meant truth for Uriah's family. We don't see or hear about them here. But God saw them and he knew them and he knew their story. And his response was to send someone. 
God sends people to people. (laughs) Here he sent Nathan. Later on in the Bible, he sends his son. The response to injustice generally is that he sends us. So if, like Nathan, he sends us to bring justice, what is justice and what does that look like? So, again, (laughs) because we are reading in English, actually some of what it's written uh, in the original language conveys a slightly different meaning. So the first word often used is, and I will not pronounce it right, but it's something like mishpat or mishport. Um, This is the justice you might think of first when you hear the word justice. If it was a picture, it would maybe be um, the scales that you see outside courts of law. There is a consequence to wrongdoing or to bad choices, um, but it's also about treating people equitably or to give them their rights. But far more often in the Bible, that word is used almost inside out and the other way round. So rather than being about those who've done wrong, it's about using what power we... uh, So rather than those who've done wrong and often doing wrong, is about using whatever power we have to get what we want, and that is generally sin. Um, actually just is about using that same power on behalf of those who for whatever reason have less power and using that power to bring restoration and to make things right. The Bible uses that word justice and making things right Um, in the context of taking up the care and cause generally of widows and orphans and immigrants or the poor. Today we might talk about those who've experienced the excruciating pain of loss, those who are not experiencing the comfort and safety and joy of being part of a loving family, those who have or are experiencing Violence or trauma, those who are forced from their homes by war or regime. Those with not enough money or resource to care for themselves or those around them. Those living with pain or physical health challenges or mental health challenges. Or who learn differently to most other people or who speak a different language. Or you could go on. Anywhere there is loss or lack or power used for gain rather than to give, God sees and he knows. And you can depend on the truth that God wants to bring his justice. Psalm 68 is a really familiar verse. With, it talks about God being father to the fatherless. And fatherhood is all about protection and provision Orphans are those who've lost their parents, but actually orphanhood is experienced in so many other ways. Um, We feel the pain of trying to protect ourselves or provide for ourselves. And that's why God's fatherhood is so life-changing. We can let go of control and trust him, and that is the heart of justice. God's is God. He's no stranger to power. But because he is truth, because he is dependable, he brings to bear his whole self to every person and every situation. And he cares about how those with power treat those with less power. And this is 
probably one of the primary expressions of who he is and what he's like. He's often introduced as a defender of those people who, for whatever reason, have less power. So the question to all of you and to me is what is it within your power to do? Who has he sent you to? Who around you has less power that you can use your power to raise up, to lift up? Who could you protect and provide for? Um, Catherine Bryant, if you would like to come on down. So as part of our series, we've been hearing from different people on uh, their front lines. So I am just going to get Catherine. Thank you, Dan. There we go. I'm just going to get Catherine to share a little bit. Can you tell us, Catherine, um, what is your current front line? Um, so my um, job is I work as a teacher at Hope Community School, and my position there is SENCO. So that's Special Educational Needs Coordinator. Um, and so, can you tell us <laughs> um, what being a mouthpiece for truth and justice looks like on your front line? And do you have a story you could tell us about what that looks like on the ground? Um, so, that feels like quite a hard question, but I think it looks like... Um, so, for children who... Um, in school, obviously, we want to treat all children fairly and give the same, but um, for some children who have additional needs, um, there are barriers um, that they face that means that they can't learn in the same ways as other children or they have more challenge accessing the curriculum and the teaching. So we need to be giving them more. Um, and I think justice in my position um, with respect to them is ensuring that they they have what they need um, to learn and to achieve what they're capable of um, so one example would be maybe <laughs> um, we we have a number of children with needs in our school but um Two Septembers ago, we had a little boy come to start in our reception class, and he has a lot of need. He has um, autism and many learning needs attached to that. And um, when he was going to start at school, his family and his preschool had um, applied for an additional level of support for him so that that would be in place for when he started school um, and that that would help him to succeed at school. But um, it was turned down. So when he came to school, he didn't have that extra level of support in place. And um, it was very evident to us very early on that his need was huge. And actually to succeed at school, he was going to need support, <laughs> a lot of it. So we helped um, his family to appeal the decision. Um, submitted additional evidence and documentation and got some outreach support um, to help us to be best resourced to help him learn and um, partway through the year we were um, the appeal was successful and um, his additional level of um, support was agreed so that was great because that's a 
was it felt like a real success for him and his family because then that support stays with him until he leaves education or, or until he's 25 and he's gone on to move to year one and he's thriving and we're able to you know ensure an adults with him um, and that the resourcing is there to help him learn and achieve while he's in school amazing <clears throat> amazing that's what it looks like to bring justice for him <laughs> at school um, what has your journey been like in that Catherine what do you find challenging when you think about being a mouthpiece for <laughs> truth and justice um, challenging <laughs> quite a lot of things <laughs> um, I think there are a lot of needs <laughs> we have quite a lot of children with um, significant need in our school and I think that it can be hard to some, sometimes to to know what the need is um, and then what to do about it sometimes so that can be a huge challenge um, obviously you want the best for them and want to be able to put in place what they need but um, sometimes it takes a while for us to work that out um, resourcing is a challenge um, we might um, always a challenge <laughs> does that answer that a bit <laughs> yes no that's really helpful it's a really great snapshot um, thank you I think this is one example of what it looks like so Catherine is using her power so her skills her resources her time and her energy to bring justice for children who most need it at school thank you very much give her a clap You see, being a mouthpiece for truth and justice sounds really grand, but that's one example of what it looks like on the ground. It is literally using what power and resource we have to lift others up, to enable for those children, it enables them to access education because they learn differently the same way as um, other children. There's loads of Bible verses. When you start reading the Bible and looking at justice, basically it talks about it nonstop. But one of those that you will probably uh, know already, Micah 6 verse 8 says, Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. If you put this in normal language, this is anabolized, it would be to do what is right, to be kind and generous, and know your place. The second word, so we've talked about justice being about, what did I just talk about it being about? Um, that um, righteousness, that lifting other people up. Um, but the second um, word is uh, about being righteous, but it's more about rights living. Um, the, the Old Testament talks a lot about a lack of mercy or of generosity being a violation of justice. So showing mercy and showing generosity is an integral, integral part of justice. God in his power doesn't demand that from us. But in being righteous and as part of our right living, we have the opportunity to be merciful, to give 
generously, and actually that same word, which I'm not going to try and pronounce because I won't manage it, it begins with T, um, but it's also used as what we know now as charity. It's got the same roots, so charity or giving. Um, really interestingly, so in the Torah, which is the Jewish first bit of the Bible, um, it talks about the eight levels of justice. <laughs> um, but actually, there are eight levels of giving. And it starts, so at the bottom of this level of giving is basically giving in sadness. That means, like, I really don't want to do it, but I know I should, so go on, there you go. <laughs> it goes through levels of uh, giving, having been asked to give, giving, having not been asked to give, giving in public, giving in private, giving anonymously in private. Um, and number one, which I'm going to read to you, is this. Giving an interest-free loan to a person in need, forming a partnership with a person in need, giving a grant, finding a job for a person in need, so long as that grant, loan, partnership or job results in the person no longer living by relying on others. The point is this, that the fruit of justice is right relationships, so it's not just giving to help somebody, but it's giving to lift somebody up so that they are no longer struggling to make ends meet. You see, sometimes when we give, it's good, but you set up, again, this uneven power relationship. You have givers and you have receivers. But the power used as God intended raises others up. It's empowering. You could probably best summarize this by being with people, but not doing to them. It's why Community Cafe is not just a cafe, but it's a community. There's time spent with people. They're not just given food. It's why Southampton City Mission Marketplace um, over the road has a manageable membership fee and offers not just provisions, but choice. It's empowering. It offers dignity. It confers value. It's why at Hope School we regularly ask people what is it they want to see in their community? What is their dream? What would they like to see develop? Rather than just deciding what we think they might need and trying to meet that need. Back to our slightly uncomfortable story. <laughs> when God sends Nathan to David, it's not just so that David is brought to account for what he's done, although he is but it's also to restore relationship. When you read Psalm 51, which is the psalm that David writes, we read what's not spelled out in the story here, which is David's anguish and his separation from God because of his sin. This story is about restoring David's relationship with God and the relationships of those around him as they see how God deals with sin. We see God's mercy and his generosity to David in sending Nathan to him. We see Nathan's generosity and mercy in actually going. <laughs> and in the way that he enables David to hear him, he could have been killed outright. Here's a king who's just killed to cover what he's done. And he's going and saying, oh, by the way, I saw. He risked his life. But I would suggest that Nathan was willing to do so because he knew that God not only loves truth, but God is truth. He could depend on God for justice for his own life, 
just as God sent him to bring justice for Uriah and Bathsheba's lives. And actually, we see that later on in the story. We read later, later on, that actually um, David and Bathsheba went on to have other sons, and they named one of their sons Nathan, which is beautiful. So Nathan, the one who went to risk his life to call the king out, actually became a lifelong ally of David's. Not just relationship restored, but new relationships gained. If truth and justice are the fruits, then compassion is the roots. I thought of that this week. I was quite pleased. (laughs) Justice not rooted in or grown out of compassion isn't very sweet. Justice is not rallying against, but it's fighting for, mostly fighting for right relationships. It's a speaking on behalf of, it's a means of grace. But the root without the fruit is also pretty useless. We can't just be moved by stories of injustice and think, oh, that's awful. (laughs) We have to care, but then we have to care enough to act. And then we have to act in a way that empowers people and lifts them up. Amos 5 um, talks about what God does require of us. And he talks about lots of good things, like singing to God and worshipping him, and he likes that, and bringing offerings to him, and he likes that. But actually, he says, but instead I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living, Deuteronomy 16.20 says, Let true justice prevail so that you may live and occupy the lands that the Lord your God is giving you. It's really interesting. This really struck me because we've received so many prophetic words recently about inheriting and living in the promised land. There's been a, perhaps a crossing over of sorts in that, the last season that we've been in. But if we are to live in and occupy the promised lands, the land of abundant labor, abundant return for hard labor, the land with giant fruit, which sounds good to me, then truth and justice need to flow in us and through us, not just a trickle, but an endless river and a mighty flood. Justice as right living of a laying down of our power to lift others up, allowing God to send us Or perhaps recognizing the people he has already sent us to. Asking God to let you see what or who is unseen. They'll be the ones with less power. They'll be the ones who've been overlooked. They'll be the ones with a story that probably makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Justice is for the ones who have been wronged. But it's also for the ones who have done wrong. The story of David is terrifyingly helpful because it reminds us of how easily even those with a heart after God can start to use power for themselves rather than others. But it also shows us of God's desire to bring restoration and his power to do so.
we are all sent. But that moment of speaking up, which we've probably experienced over and over again from in the playground for the first time when somebody else is being to somebody else, should I say anything? Do I speak up now or not? And then as we get older, it probably gets more and more complicated, but the same decision faces us. Will you let God send you? Will you speak up? Sometimes it's a supernatural prompt from him, like with Nathan. Sometimes it's a chance encounter. Sometimes it's developing the skills and using your power through right living and thriving, like Catherine and actually like so many of you. God sees, he knows, and he acts through sending you. I just want to finish by telling you one little story of justice. Um, It's a story that humbles me, but it's also a story that changed me forever. Um, But I hope it shows that God can use any one of us and how he is with us as he sends us. So when I had my number three baby, um, I, Toby, I got to know a, um, another young girl, young mum, and so she had a baby, and I had volunteered to drive her to a parent and toddler group every week. So I would drive her, and we would chat in the car. Um, she was really young, and I knew she was young, and that's why I had volunteered, because she needed a bit of extra support. So she, was, well, she would have been 16 when I first met her. But I quickly found out that she'd been 15 when she got pregnant. And then I found out that actually she'd been trafficked to this country as a child. She was seven and she was bought with an auntie on a plane. Um, And she'd not been to school. She hadn't learned to read and write. Um, She'd found herself pregnant at 15. She hid her pregnancy as long as she could before she then ran away. Um, and she ended up getting, um, obviously, some health care, and then uh, the authorities knew about her, and they placed her in a foster home, and that was how I'd got to meet her. In England, if you are trafficked to this country as an unaccompanied minor, you automatically get leave to remain, which seems just and right. <laughs> um, but somewhere in the process, someone forgot to make her application, so they never applied for her leave to remain, So they were busy supporting her and with the foster home and she had some support and some help and she got to the age of 17 and they went, oh, we haven't made the application. Oh, it's too late, it won't go through in time. So you'll have to be, uh, the process will have to be as an adult. Um, And then she was told she didn't qualify on the basis of an adult for staying in the country. So her and her young baby would be put on a plane and sent back to the country that she was trafficked from. If ever (laughs) there was an injustice, that was it. And so (laughs) I have no experience in this area (laughs) other than being a good friend. Um, So me and another lady uh, found her a solicitor and we went to see her and we told her story and we asked what we could do. Um, Steve and I asked if we could adopt her and if that meant that she would be able to stay in the country, but actually we were told we couldn't adopt her because the time it would take to go through would mean that then she'd be 18 and you can't adopt an 18-year-old and particularly not with the court case pending. So we were looking for ways through. Um, and I arrived at my friend who we were joining this together house one day. Um, and basically God spoke to her <laughs> and showed her Article 8 <laughs> in the human, human Rights. And it says that every individual has a right to 
a private and family life. And we knew, knew, as in that psalm, that God had placed her in a family. Um, We were her family. And so we trawled through, although because she had been part of our family, she'd uh, been staying over at our house and we had her for meals and she got to know the community she she was our family she was part of our family and so we started to compile a document of all this evidence that somebody was part of our family um and to cut a long story short because it took a long time we went to court (laughs) um and she got her leave to remain and she is happy and she is settled and she's been to university after she learned to read and write and she's had other children um there's one moment for me in that courtroom, which was the most, that you can imagine, it was the most nerve-wracking experience. I got ushered in, speaking on her behalf, had this quick interview with a barrister who burst into tears, I have to say, when we told her the story. And then we're in, all very official. Um, so I got ushered in just to do my bit. I hadn't been able to hear what else was going on. Um, and the guy speaking um, for, on behalf of the Home Office saying that she should be deported um, was very, what's the word, voracious in his questioning. He didn't, he, he was not kind <laughs> to many of my responses. Um, and then as I was speaking, the other barrister addressed him and his name, I'm really sorry, his name was Mr. Little. And it was just this little example of God showing how nothing is too big and nothing is too difficult for him. This impossible story of taking this girl who had been utterly wronged in every way imaginable, actually. It was injustice after injustice after injustice. But his care for her in bringing her to us, that we got the privilege of embracing her and being part of our family and our children playing together. And not only that, but he set her up. He righted the wrong that was done. And she is happy and healthy and God has restored to her more than was lost. That's what God's justice looks like. And that's how he can use us. You don't have to have skills, because I'm not greatly skilled. (laughs) Um, You don't have to have experience even. If you're willing, he'll use you. Uh, I did have an ending. I got distracted by my story. (laughs) So I've just got a prayer, really, to pray. If you're willing to pray it with me. And it's this, Father, help me to love mercy, to seek justice, and walk humbly before you on my front line. Give me ears to discern where falsehoods reign and eyes to see where injustice has its roots. Wisdom and courage to cultivate truth and justice. For your glory, may it be. Amen.